Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. OutKick 360 underway. Thursday edition is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, the entire OutKick crew making it happen for us. Plenty of college basketball headlines. Michigan Falls. Indiana beats the Wolverines in Juwan Howard's first game back as their tournament's underway. Duke survives against Syracuse, and we just watched Texas A&M win in overtime on a last-second three over Florida. They move on to take on Auburn tomorrow. Gentlemen, good afternoon. One Bayheim wasn't enough uh, for Syracuse today. They needed Buddy also. Uh, uh, Jimmy Bayheim was terrific. By the way, I love that Jim Bayheim's sons that play basketball for him are named Jimmy and Buddy, of all things. <laughs> That's the most Hoosier-esque yeah. starting lineup. Old Jimmy Bayheim and Buddy Bayheim. Uh, Syracuse gave it a go, but Duke pulls through. Great comeback for Indiana in that win over Michigan and Jawan Howard's return. Boys, this type time of year gets me pumped. I'm excited to sit around. We're here at 6th and Peabody watching the end to a, a great game between Florida and A&M, two teams playing for their tourney lives, going into overtime. Um, if you don't get excited sports-wise about some of these games that are happening right now, you don't have a pulse. It's that simple. That three-pointer by A&M wasn't a thing of beauty by any means, and we saw some officiating take uh, a long time, a, a foul call that took uh, – a minute and a half, two minutes to be called. I didn't think it was that. I didn't think let it me, took that long. Let me interject on this. Um, the foul call. Have. The foul call wasn't as bad because they got and it this, right. This crew actually did a decent job, but all too often they go to the replay under a minute or under two minutes left, looking to see who the ball went out on. They called it one way; it was right, and they look at it and they show the replay, and everyone watching that basketball game sees immediately they got it right. It's the team's ball that they said it was out on. It, they got it right. Let's move on. And they sit and look at three or four different angles, trying to prove themselves wrong, almost. Look at one angle. You see what happened. Let's play on. Uh, the foul call deal, you, it's rare you see that. They called it out on uh, A&M, and huddled. It was a bad call. It was a clear foul. Huddled for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, decided, okay, that's a foul. I'm okay with that outcome because it was the right call. At least they got together and made the right call, even if it was odd. Yeah. And we see our first dramatic finish of the SEC tournament with uh, yeah, it was due. Florida being knocked out. They were a bubble team going into the tournament, need to go on a run. They're out in uh, the, the second round, uh, second day of, of, of games. A&M moves on to take on Auburn, and now we await uh, game number two of the, of the day. And what's going to be a solid group of games uh, taking place in Tampa uh, coming up, we have uh, LSU and Missouri. Missouri winning over Ole Miss. So LSU will play Missouri today. Uh, that tip-off should happen in roughly 20 minutes or so. Uh, South Carolina and Mississippi State 
will tip off the evening session in Tampa, followed by Alabama and Vanderbilt. The Commodores getting past Georgia yesterday. The two games last night. Sleepwalker, Georgia. Not much of anything, but that's what you expect on a Wednesday at the SEC tournament. I saw an interesting one last night. Xavier lost to Butler in overtime. Xavier's finished horribly. They're 18 and 13. They'll be a bubble team. They don't deserve to make it. They've finished one and six now. (laughs) They they had a two-point lead. And uh, Butler was coming down the floor, I think it was last possession, and they fouled him. Xavier fouled him. And the only explanation, at, at midcourt, like as if you were leading by three, the coach said after the game, yeah, we foul at half court up three and not up two. So he thought the they kid were up three. clearly didn't have a handle on the score. Terrible way to end your season. Did, did his teammates immediately look up and – Look like WTF? What are you doing yeah, in this I think moment? There was some like, dude, agony there. Or did the rest of them not know either? I I, I, I would like to see I at least some awareness I, from some of his teammates. I wasn't really focused on the team reaction. I was focused on his reaction, and he very quickly what they cut to was him, um, kind of teary eyed with that look, like, oh, I just screwed everybody. Trey Wallace is going to join us in 15 minutes uh, live from Tampa. He's giving full coverage for OutKick.com. He's our SEC columnist at OutKick. Uh, he will join us a couple of times today, uh, previewing uh, the matchup that's about to tip off, but also reviewing the three games already in Tampa. And then later in today's show, he'll rejoin us just briefly prior to tip off of the evening sessions. In between that, Dan Dockich will join us. Uh, Dockich is on at 5 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Central. He always brings the heat. And uh, we'll, we'll talk all things college hoops from a national perspective with Dan. And Armando Salguero on today. NFL trades happening. We're less than a week away from NFL free agency. A week from now, we'll have the NCAA tournament. And we'll have reaction to the first 12 to 15 hours of free agency across the National Football League. Um, we'll preview all that coming up with Armando. Teams are making some moves already to get below the cap. Uh, here in Nashville, Roger Saffold, a pretty big name um, and a pretty big piece of their success over the last several years, saves a little over $10 million, and uh, he's now on the street. And no surprise. Uh, no, it was going to be him or Lawan. Yeah. And um, Saffold. Persistent shoulder problem. Very good run blocker. Dropped off in pass protection. And uh, I don't know that they've got an in-house guy to replace him unless the guy they drafted to play right tackle who hasn't panned out as anything, but did have one start at left tackle, is now their left guard, in which case they still need a right tackle. Um, Dylan Raiders. And, and no, no surprise on the release, and no surprise about the shoulder injury giving him problems. Whenever he was with uh, L.A. and was a free agent, he originally signed a contract with Oakland and the Raiders. And after he signed the deal, he failed his physical. They sent him back, and he ended up signing a contract back with the Rams uh, because of the shoulder. So it's no secret that he came in with shoulder problems. The dude's tough. He played through a nerve issue in his shoulder multiple times, uh, practically every game uh, this past season, and it dates back to last year some, too. Uh, Props to him for for being a mainstay, even though uh, he wasn't always 100%. In fact, wasn't, I don't think, close to it towards the end of the season. His example, too – Came in, had a rough start, uh, said some questionable things about his poor play early, but battled through all that and became a stalwart of the team, 
spokesman, reliable guy, all of that, great pro. They're, they're definitely going to miss his presence. And the run game, Derrick Henry's going to miss the guy. Um, it, it's a big, big hole to fill. Um, and it is coming time for teams to get level with the cap. A lot of names are going to come. There's going to be a whole secondary market of new guys that come free between now and uh, 3 o'clock Central next Wednesday. Chad, last night, Minnesota did not play a single substitute by the time you sent out a tweet in the second half as they took on Penn State. So Ben Johnson is the, um, the, the first-year head coach at Minnesota. And I referenced Hoosiers earlier. This was a classic Hoosiers moment, almost to say, my team's on the floor when everyone's asking, why are you not substituting? Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I turned over. There was seven minutes left. And they're talking about how Minnesota could face some fatigue because they haven't subbed once the entire game. And at the time, Penn State was ahead by three. They ended up winning by 10 against Minnesota. But I've never, I've seen that in high school before with teams that would go five players the whole game with a shorter game also. Rare you'll see that in major college basketball, five guys the entire way. It was crazy. How'd they do conditioning-wise in the end? Were they dry? I mean, I, didn't, I, I would be lying if I said I sat and watched the entire end of the game. I turned away shortly after. But again, they were, it was, they were down three when I turned it over, so they had a chance. And they're last place team in the Big Ten, and they lost by ten. So the last seven minutes they lost. It was close, you know, throughout with five guys. Impressive. I wonder if Duke, if this win, this comeback win over Syracuse today, kind of snaps them back into sync a bit. You know, after they they lost that second half to UNC to close the regular season, tough game where Syracuse was leading at the half. Uh, it was like forty to thirty six at halftime, and uh, back and forth. Um, and that was after they closed the half on like a 27 to 15 run and, and took the lead. And if you look at the score as we're uh, here at sixth and Peabody shooting a promo, you kept, kept up with the score and it, you're like, man, that, this Duke team seems like they're still in a malaise after everything that went down last week. Turns out they, they were able to turn it on in the second half and, and, and advance in the ACC tournament. I don't want to use youth as any type of crutch here for this Duke team. Very talented. A lot of young teams out there. But Duke is one of those teams, and you see this with a group of freshmen and sophomores that are going to go pro pretty quickly. When they are on and they are clicking and they can take guys off the bounce, they can't be beat. They're as good as anyone, and everyone's going to have a hard time eliminating them from the NCAA tournament. But when the going gets tough and you got to figure out a different way to win, those young teams don't get it done. Coach K has seen it a lot over the years with young teams. When they get into a fist fight mm-hmm. in the NCAA tournament, can they adjust and bounce back? They couldn't do it against North Carolina. When things weren't going their way, they can't pull themselves out and figure out a way to win. That's why when, whenever we fill out these brackets Sunday night, I'm going to have a real hard time circling Duke for many rounds past the first two. Got some defensive issues. I, they had some defensive issues in their second half against North Carolina and that game where uh, they seemed to be in control and all of a sudden things evaporated in, in a hurry. Well, and let's let, go back to the youth, though, with them. Defense, when you're that athletic and talented, is a choice. Those guys can defend. If they want to commit to it, they, they could be a great defensive yep. team. But they, they're used to playing AAU coming into this level of basketball. They all can score and do things with the basketball, but 
if they if they defend, it's because they choose to defend. And that's not often the case with these young superstar teams. I'm eager to watch uh, Vanderbilt tonight take on Bama. Jerry Stackhouse has a team that they'll get after it. They'll get after it on the defensive end, and they attack the rim. It starts with Pippen Jr., but uh, beyond that, they're going to get to the free throw line. Alabama, meanwhile, can shoot the three. They live and die by it. And when they're hot, they're hard to beat. They can compete with anybody. And this is a team that made a huge run last year. Uh, number two seed in the NCAA tournament. They returned a bunch of talent. They're fun to watch. And they, I mean, they took it to uh, a handful of teams this year on the, the SEC slate. And uh, meanwhile, towards the backstretch of the season, A&M was the team that took it to Bama. They're very hot and cold. Um, A&M was the more physical opponent and blew them out at home towards the end of the regular season. I think this is a very winnable game for Vandy and Stackhouse. I don't know that Vanderbilt got anything out of last night. Uh, maybe a little confidence. You get confidence from playing that Georgia team. I mean, they put up, what, they have 14 points in the first half? I mean, they, they're just a disaster. Um, so, I mean, Vanderbilt did what it needed to do. Um, but Georgia – it was awful. You saw Georgia live this year. Um, that's a miserable well, existence. Yeah, they're, they're a bore. Georgia did a good job of petitioning for a bye if you're the last place team in the SEC and not even showing up. I mean, that that was, uh, you know, you want contraction at that point from the tournament. They were a complete no-show dud. That thing was 11-2 to two quickly. They never had a chance. Hard to watch. And I'm not taking anything away from Vandy because they have improved as the year goes on. You got to go out I'll there. I'll show it tonight. You got to go out there and beat a team by 35, right? And they did that. Um, I, I'm with you, though, Hutton. I think Vandy's got a great shot at winning tonight against Alabama. With Alabama, it's all they are going to drive and either kick it out for a three or try to force something up down low. That, that's their offense. They all know how to plug and play well. They're going to run, they're going to pressure, and they're going to do that. If they're not hitting, Vandy's got a great shot. They've got a difference maker in Pippen, who's really, I mean, you look at the way he plays, he is recession-proof because he's going to get to the free-throw line. He's not relying on his three-point shot. He's going to score any number of ways. So I like Vandy's chances in this game. Did you see them put up Jerry Stackhouse, Scotty Pippen, senior head-to-head uh, stats last night? It was a little bit too much like uh, like it was a one-on-one game. But uh, is Stackhouse's Pippen, team only beat <laughs> Pippen's team once, 12-1. and one. Is Pippen in Tampa for the tournament? Yeah, he they was They showed there. him? He was there. Nice. Also in Tampa is Trey Wallace. He's about to join us. We're going to go down to the SEC tournament and check in with Trey from Outkick.com. He is courtside, and we will preview LSU and Missouri and recap what was a fantastic finish in overtime he took in earlier today as Texas A&M advances over Florida. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience, Outkick 360. Excited to partner with VitaLifeScience.com, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com to keep all of us mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. You're seeing VitaLifeScience.com, and that's where you can go and receive more information. Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. Most are only absorbed in small, very small amounts. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. 
I personally use the vitamin C, the vitamin D3, the glutathione, simple single-use packets, or you can get this by the bottle as well. Grab and go in the mornings and take them with you throughout the day. And they have many more supplements to benefit you. VitaLifeScience.com, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com. Use the code OUTKICK360 for a 15% off discount at VitaLifeScience.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Per ESPN and Jeff Passan, there is a tentative deal in place between Major League Baseball and the MLBPA about actually playing baseball. We may uh, have further news of that later in the show. All that, all that's left are just some formalities of getting some signatures on paper, of getting the players to vote this through, as well as the owners. Uh, but it sounds like both, both sides have agreed to a deal that will allow baseball to be back. Um, as of right now, it's like middle of April, right? But who knows how quickly they can get things together. They've canceled about the first 10, 10 days, four series. Well, you know, I mocked that final offer on that international draft rules that the MLB put out there, but apparently that was the final straw. I said, you know what? These guys mean business. We'll accept your offer and we'll play. I'm happy. I I know it's a running joke and not a lot of people care and all of that, but I'm happy that I'll be able to turn on the TV, see my team, make the quirky bets that we like to make and – and, and and see who's on the, my team's roster, by the way. That that comes first. There are a lot of moves to be made. I, I reserve my happiness for when they start playing. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean. I just had to happen first. Yeah, like I just, uh, I'm so ready for March and everything going on with football right now. I just can't even imagine a first pitch being played because all the talk has been about this. Once they start playing, I'll be right there with you. Well, that's because Freddie Freeman's about to leave. A couple weeks team. in. That's all right. My Braves can still, if, my Braves can still defend that won. title. That's right. They can still defend it. Um, we also have Ronald Acuna. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's coming back. He is from back. Injury. Did not play last year in that World Series run. You won't repeat. And he's better than Freeman. You won't repeat. Also, it's a, a testament to the sport itself that the season's too long that they'll miss the first two weeks and no one even cares. Like, it's like okay, great. They're back in April. Cool. After yeah, missing uh, the first two series. the time they should be taking off the season is in the back end, not the front end in terms of the foolish weather that they play in. And I, it'll probably benefit them to not even go against anything March-related or they'll be past free agency at that point, you know. Um, I just can't wait for that rash of hamstring injuries and arm yeah. injuries. Oh, no spring training. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. This is what was going to happen. Let's go to Tampa where we're underway in, in college basketball with the, with the tournaments have been all week and last week. And Trey Wallace is in Tampa covering the SEC tournament where A&M just knocked off Florida in overtime at the buzzer on a three. Trey, hope you're doing well. Hope Tampa's going great for you. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. It's um, it, it's going well. I, I thought that game was pretty much wrapped up with about six minutes to go uh, between Texas A&M and Florida. And all of a sudden, uh, A&M starts missing the free throws and the Gators get back in it. And uh, we got a tie game going to, to overtime. So, that was wild. About had to erase the whole darn story that I had yeah. for him. <laughs> that home team, when they pulled even as the Aggies were collapsing there, uh, had pretty good home support from the noise uh, The noise there. 
they're emptying out now. Uh, what was the atmosphere like for that, and what's it been like for anything else? Paul, it was actually good. I mean, there, there, there was probably, I don't know, I'm guesstimating here, but maybe 14,000 people uh, here for a, a Thursday noon tip-off. Uh, Florida was playing. I, I, I thought the crowd was great. A lot of Florida fans came out and supported their team. Had some Aggie, Aggie band was right there to my left. So it was all about them yelling the whole time. But I'm, I'm telling you, it was a great atmosphere. And, and you know, I didn't think that was going to happen with four minutes to go in the game. Uh, but, you know, what? Florida came back. They gave it a shot. And the Aggies held on at the end. But, man, what a fun atmosphere. You know, they've trickled out now kind of since the home state team just lost. But, you know, for a, for a 12 o'clock tip-off again on a Thursday, a great crowd. And, and we'll see what tonight brings and the rest of the weekend. But a, a great way to start off the uh, Thursday matchups. There's Cold and then there's Appleby. Uh, what was up with him today in that game against A&M? You know, we're, we're kind of still looking for answers a little bit from, from Mike White and what that was about. He actually substituted into the game in overtime, but he wasn't in for a 13-minute stretch. I mean, it was long right there. Uh, zero points today uh, in 20 minutes of action. Wasn't able to get to the basket. Only shot the ball five times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just wasn't a factor. So when you put all that into it and you see what Florida was trying to do, and Mike White, they were really hamstrung. I mean, they, they got 14 points off their bench. But when you really break it down what Florida was trying to do, it was going to be, okay, hit those mid-range jumpers with Appleby, try to get hot from behind the perimeter. And it turns out Florida couldn't do a lot of that. It took you know, Texas A&M letting them back in the game for Florida to get hot. So, you know, this will be a season of what-ifs. For the Gators, we'll see if they get into the NCAA tournament. Um, and if that's the case, maybe Appleby can be more, you know, proficient in that game. There, there had, Jonathan, there had to be some kind of injury because he would have been playing a lot more besides 18 to 20 minutes. Do you think that, that Mike White's in any trouble here with Florida? Is he safe going into next year and next year being more of a prove-it season for him? Or is there maybe some underlying issues here uh, with Mike White and not really from a personal standpoint or anything that he's done, but just a lack of wins. No, Chad, I, I agree with you. And talking with folks, you know, down here and talking with folks during the season in the games delirium, look, it, it was always kind of hit or miss with Florida during the year. I mean, you, we saw them beat Auburn, okay? But then you come back and you play the type of basketball that you did at times and, and get blown out in a lot of those games, too. I mean, there, there were a good amount of games and they were getting beat by 10 points or more. Uh, so, Florida... Look, the way Florida fans see it, they think Mike White has hit his ceiling uh, with the Gators, that he's not going to be able to produce anything in the years coming forward. You know, if you follow the social media chatter of Florida fans all season long, it was, hey, why are we sticking around with this guy? You know, I, I don't know about a move potentially being made. It also depends on what, you know, the coaching market looks like. Um, but to be bounced in the first round from an A&M team that's played pretty bad, besides beating Alabama, played pretty bad down the stretch. It, it doesn't bode well for Mike White. Like, he, he you know, come, might survive this season, but next year would probably be it for him in Gainesville. It's just it's just been tough uh, for what they're trying to do. And Florida shouldn't be, and you guys know this, Florida shouldn't be this type of bad at basketball. There's too much talent. So for him to be wasting it like he is right now, um, I think it kind of speaks volumes to what could be happening in the future. His brother was here today watching him. I don't know if that was good luck or bad luck. 
Yeah, of course, Danny White, his brother, the uh, athletic director at Tennessee, Trey Wallace from OutKick, is our guest. Trey, two-part question. Was there anyone outside of family members of, of uh, Georgia and Vandy players in attendance last night in Tampa for that game? And what kind of chance do you give Vandy, who has been playing better lately, of knocking off Alabama tonight? I mean, there was – there was a decent amount of people. Oh, I come guess, on. There was, there was no one there. <laughs> there was no one there. SEC Network. Define decent. I, I, take take yeah. SEC Network personnel out. Dane Bradshaw and his, his posse. Take them out of it. Who was actually at that game last night as a fan? Uh, probably the ESPN crew, the <laughs> band, the cheerleaders, and I would say maybe 30 family members from each team. I'm being nice, you yeah. know, in, in that sense. Candace Lee was here. So, you know, for was, all the athletic directors have been here. Um, but, uh, but no, that was, uh, that was atrocious. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually kind of interested in why we haven't heard anything out of Athens today uh, in regards to Tom Green's job and official announcement. Uh, maybe that comes Monday after the tournament, the SEC tournament is over. Um, but, man, that was just – that was the worst basketball game I think I've ever attended. And I've attended a lot of college basketball games with – when you don't make a darn field goal over the last 12 minutes of the first half, your eyes just start to become really, really sore, and you have to turn away. So I just found some ACC basketball and kind of put it on the computer while watching that curb stomping in the second half. Smart. Trey Wallace joins us from Tampa at the SEC tournament for his coverage from OutKick.com. Uh, Trey, what are they saying over the last uh, uh, day in Tampa? We, we briefly touched on this yesterday, but who have you talked with uh, on and off the record about Will Wade's job. LSU's currently leading over Missouri, but beyond that, what are you hearing about Wade sticking around or not? Uh, that, that, that this was this was a very, very big deal for them to finally get this, this notice of allegations. Um, and, and that's I know that's a, an easy thing to say, but it now puts it on the university. And talking with some people late last night about this, you know, it puts it on the university to now make a move if there is enough damage in those allegations that maybe LSU wasn't prepared for. You have to, you know, this was pointed out to me last night by somebody that works in the LSU administration, too, that, you know, you got to remember, first, Will Wade didn't want to talk. You know, he wasn't going to be involved. There's a reason why he was suspended. So, you know, you wonder how much information he actually ended up telling the university or the investigators, and then what did the – what did the council uncover during that time that maybe Will Wade didn't talk about? So that's where it could get interesting is how far deep it goes with the allegations front and what Will Wade was up, up front about when, when answering questions. I, I think that's key. And to me, it is. Um, you know, did, did he admit to, to offering Javante Smith a strong-ass offer? Did he say, oh, I, you know what, that, that didn't mean anything. I wasn't talking about that. I didn't. It didn't mean about the handfuls of cash that I was giving players or offering players. Those questions and those answers are going to be key. And LSU's got it now. They've got a certain time period where they have to respond, uh, and we'll start seeing that. But, you know, folks folks down in Baton Rouge, they, they haven't been happy about the way the basketball team's playing this year. Um, you add on a couple of allegations that maybe folks didn't know about or a couple of things that maybe weren't said before, could get pretty interesting in Baton Rouge, I'm told. I wonder what's the media response going to be post game for this with Will Wade in about an hour and a half. We're going to ask. We're going to ask. 
I don't, you know, he, he's going to, you know, win or lose, we're going to ask, and he's going to, you know, no comment in it, or I'm not going to talk about an ongoing investigation, but, you know, brother, you ain't talked about it in three years. <laughs> you know, you've been, you've been quiet. You got that notice of allegations now. Let's hear something. You know, don't, don't just scrounge up and say, okay, there's nothing to it, or, or I don't want to answer questions. I'm interested if he's going to get out in front of it or if he's going to keep it dangling, you know, for, for the next couple of months. So um, he will be asked, and we'll see what the LSU Sports Information Department decides to give him when it comes to an answer. Trey, I think so much about the conference tournament, if you are a team that's clearly headed for a good seed in the NCAA tournament, is avoiding any negative residual effects from your conference tournament. Winning it's great. You, you want to win it. You want to play hard in it. All of that. It's not a throwaway. But those teams that, even if it doesn't go their way, can avoid a fall-off because of what happens in the SEC tournament. A year ago, Tennessee lost John Fulkerson to an elbow. Uh, they got a Florida player suspended in the game. That hurt them in their game against Oregon State. Um, this Tennessee team, in the way it's made up, do you think that they're m- more capable of avoiding that residual effect if things don't go their way in this tournament because of how they're more guard-oriented this year? Or is that still something you think about with this group, again, if things go south in game number one for Tennessee? I mean, we've seen Tennessee bounce back from games this year, you know, that they lost and maybe shouldn't have. But now it's been a minute because Tennessee went on that, you know, 10 of 11 game, you know, streak in the SEC and, um, you know, I, I go back um, to that Texas game where they lost down in Austin and the way that they responded after that. And you look at the teams they have beaten since that game down in Austin where they lost and Triple J had that, you know, that nice shot at the end, didn't go in. Um, but the way he re- – like the way he responded. Like the side Jordan Davis is playing really good basketball right now for Tennessee. So I, I – I take a look at that game, and I look at how Tennessee played in the SEC since then, and I think that goes to show you that you know this team is capable of bouncing back and, and grabbing a win. You know, after you know maybe not playing the best of games. You know, Chad, you could even go back to that loss at Arkansas. Remember how bad they shot at Arkansas, and, and just the offensive production was not there. And then you kind of look where they they took a next step forward, and they continued playing well. And they find they found other ways. To win, you know, you're playing with with Zakai, you're playing with Chandler Vescovi on the court at the same time, you know, during some sequences. So Tennessee's found ways to bounce back. I don't think a loss tomorrow, you know, it would look it would stink for Tennessee fans and Tennessee that made it down here to lose to Mississippi State or South Carolina, but I don't think it would hurt them come next Thursday or Friday in the NCAA tournament. I think this team has a very short memory. And to your point, Trey, Tennessee's not lost two games in a row all year. Uh, They've avoided any losing streak throughout the season. So any loss has been followed by a win for Tennessee throughout the season. On to that that South Carolina, Mississippi State. South Carolina, not very good offensively. Mississippi State, not very good offensively lately. Over-under seems high maybe at at 138. What are you expecting to key that game? I mean, Paul, that's going to be a, a, a beat-up game in the paint. That's all that's going to be. I mean, Mississippi State, we all know how South Carolina and Fred Martin's team plays. Physical, going after you, hard fouls, going to try to beat you in the paint, uh, get to the basket. Same thing for kind of Mississippi State tomorrow. Um, I don't really trust what they do 
at the guard position, but if they can get down to the post and they can, you know, get aggressive with Tennessee and depends on who's in the game. Is it Huntley Hatfield? Is it Jonas? Is it Euros? How does Fulkerson take that physical challenge tomorrow that you know he's going to get from both of those teams? So I, I think those are keys when you look at this because if I'm Mississippi State or South Carolina, I'm attacking, attacking, attacking in the paint. And I'm going to see who I can get in foul trouble. And I'm going to see if we can get to the line and get some easy baskets. So that's why I think tomorrow is so key for what Tennessee does in the post. Not not really you know at the guard position, but how they handle the post presence for both of those teams. And if they can, then this is the spot. Like if Fulkerson comes out tomorrow and can get 10 points, Tennessee's going to win this basketball game. But if Fulkerson's held the two points and 18 minutes of play or something along those lines, Tomorrow could be interesting, and um, you know we'll we'll see what happens with this game, you know tonight, and we'll see who plays. But I think otherwise than that, Tennessee should be okay tomorrow. But just don't let it get physical in the paint, and, and don't get out hustled. That's the key. Trey, which of the four seeds faces the most pressure going into this weekend? Is it a team that would drop out of a one seed potentially next week, or a team that could move up a spot or two? I think it's Auburn. I think when I, I just right off the bat that hits me. I mean, for what they did during the regular season, and 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 getting to this point right now, and having all the accolades and playing good basketball here towards the end, in a sense, you know, to me they're they are a team still of unknowns when it kind of comes to which guards are going to be there every single night to to be consistent. But I think I think it's got to be Auburn right now, and and that's in in my opinion because of how much good they've done during the regular season. So it puts them on that pedestal. Like, okay, the biggest, here's the thing. If tomorrow Auburn comes out and loses, you know, what's, what's that knock them down to when it comes to tournament seeding? Like, this is big. Like, Auburn needs to take care of business on Friday. If they lose on Saturday, okay, I don't really think that would affect much of NCAA tournament seeding. But I think a loss on Friday could maybe drop them back a notch, depending on what other teams do. So, Tomorrow's big for a lot of things. Auburn would really like to come in here and win this tournament and kind of back up everything they did during the regular season. But there's some tough, tough competition here, so we'll see how they play. But um, but Auburn, to me, would be the biggest disappointment. Not Arkansas, not Kentucky, not Tennessee. We've seen them you know, lose games by not shooting well. Auburn, to me, is the big one. Well, and Trey, following up on that, if Auburn loses, they're not going to fall below a two. If they win the tournament, they're going to be a one seed. Uh, so there is some maneuvering to be done there. But also keep in mind, they're going to play an A&M team tomorrow that's playing for an NCAA tournament spot. This is their oh, one-bid yeah. conference tournament championship game. So they're going into that game letting everything hang out because if they win, they're in. If they lose, they're probably not. And Auburn knows that going into that game. they got a team that's playing for their lives going against them. That's, that's why I think tomorrow is dangerous yeah. for Auburn. Um, because we, we saw a Coleman shot today uh, for Texas A&M. You know, he had over 20 points. Um, you look at the way that their bench played. They were hitting outside shots. They were getting to the paint and causing problems against Florida Day and Castleton. I'm just, I'm just saying, I know Texas A&M has played interesting basketball. Let's put it that way. But this is a team that went into Tuscaloosa and won what, a week ago. Don't. Don't tell me the Aggies don't have a shot tomorrow because they do. And Buzz Williams knows he's playing, you know, for the season tomorrow. So he's going to try anything and everything he can 
to beat the Tigers. That game's going to be fun. LSU having no problem with Missouri. They wouldn't have had a problem with Ole Miss either. They're up 23-6 to six currently with 10 minutes remaining in the first half over the Missouri Tigers. Glad uh, I'm back here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to stay on for the next 10 minutes here? You're, you're, you're welcome, we Trey. <laughs> oh, by the way, it's now 25-6, to six, by the way. LSU just scored again, there you so go. you're welcome. There you go. Yeah, so Trey, check in oh, with us. My post game done. Check in with us uh, after the game and and prior to uh, the evening session, and we'll preview the two matchups coming up later, including Alabama and Vandy. And uh, prior to you joining us, we were saying we can't wait to watch this later tonight because we think the Commodores can really uh, spring the upset. It's possible. Well, one one more question that just popped in my mind right now, Trey. Could there be two more different personalities than Conzo Martin versus Will Wade in a basketball game of guys going head-to-head? One is uh, one is one you can barely hear yep. on the sideline, and the other is just yapping his head off. That, that, that's really all it is. You got you got one that is out there that acts like a, a WWE wrestler, and the other one that acts like a congressman on the sideline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Conzo so, Martin is a, is a priest compared to Will Wade. Also, oh yeah, from an integrity standpoint. Yeah. Uh, Trey. Yeah. yeah it, exactly. Uh, report back on the media spread, too, for lunch, if you don't mind, and we'll compare it to Bridgestone Arena. I've already tasted a little bit of it, but I'll, I'll let you okay. guys know a little later. Full report you. card later. Yeah. Full report. The unbiased report card. We're trying to give Tampa some credit, but every time we just lean towards Nashville. Dane so. did tell us he had a nice barbecue sandwich yesterday. Yeah, he did. After, he did after say after that. He was supposed so. to be That's running right. laps, but yeah, he went hey, out a barbecue sandwich instead. Trey's got great coverage uh, all week long, um, including – in today's sessions, you can go to outkick.com for more information. We'll check in with Trey uh, later in today's show prior to the evening tip-offs. You can follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. Coming up, we will discuss maybe who's the second most talked about quarterback now after some trades have settled beyond Carson Wentz. And I think there's an interesting side-by-side uh, scenario coming up for free agency both in the NFL and now baseball. And we will see both free agent free agencies going on at the same time. And the contracts are going to be way lopsided. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I think baseball's making a mistake, and it's not because they came to an agreement. Outkick 360 rolls on. They're doing away with the man on second in extra innings. I thought that made for some exciting scenarios, and it guaranteed, in some cases, um, an exciting finish when you tune in and you know a game's going to extras. Um, I'm torn. I'm. There was, I don't to me, I, it I liked it. it I, didn't, I didn't know that I would like it, and I actually liked it. I don't know why they're going away from it. I don't disagree with you, but I hate unnatural stuff, so I, I had trouble coming to terms with it a little bit. But I do agree... It, it gave you, uh, you know, reason to like, hey, this game's probably ending here. So you might want to flip over. And that's not the case in regular extra innings. I also like the strategy of it. You know, like if, you're, if you stopped a team from scoring in the top half, 
you're probably playing small ball. Yeah. You're trying to get that guy over to third and sack Quickly. him in for the win. I just, I like that element instead of just, this sounds ridiculous because I am a baseball fan, instead of just playing baseball <laughs> for as long and, as it takes. And I should mention too, they're, they're also doing away, if there's a doubleheader, they're doing away with the seven-inning doubleheaders. It's back to a nine-inning doubleheader. And there may be a record number of doubleheaders because according to Yahoo, they're playing 162 games. And I can't imagine they're pushing the season out two weeks here. The season ends late as hell as it is already. Yeah. They're, they right. are going 12 team playoffs, which I appreciate. I didn't like the 14. I think 12 is too many. But 162 games, odds are they're going to squish some of them in at least, which means doubleheader. Listen, the best thing about a doubleheader. If you're a real baseball person, uh, you know, I, I went to a couple as a kid with my dad was two for one baseball, right? You could spend a whole day if you were into it at the stadium. As a kid, that's a, a miraculous thing. You're eating hot dogs all day. You're walking the concourse, all of that stuff. Nowadays, nobody has time for that. But also, they, they get two gates in one day, which is ridiculous. Clear it out and fill it up again. So here's, here's what's going to be important now for teams. Uh, with this, with a lot of doubleheaders, a sixth starter. Yes. A reliever who is a capable sixth starter is going to be a staple for everyone's rotation because you're going to have a lot of bullpen days slash a guy who can get you five or six innings. And you can't bullpen. And be functional You can't in your rotation. bullpen in, in the, within five days of a doubleheader. Uh, it just, it, it's not going to work for you numbers-wise. Speaking of numbers and big numbers, we are about so so you know everyone's like oh Aaron Rodgers is now the highest paid player for the upcoming season in NFL history fifty million the reported number great it's a lot of money but we're also about to see at the same time guys signing big time contracts in the NFL while we're going to see three hundred plus million contracts devoted to Major League Baseball players. And for the first time, we'll be able to see that side by side. Oh, that is going to be fun. You see what I'm saying? Like, you, you'll be able to say, okay, for what we thought was a massive contract this time of year, and everyone's debating whether or not the, the NFL guy is worth this amount of money, which isn't even guaranteed. We're going to compare it to the guaranteed 300 million plus guy for Major League Baseball. Also that, happening simultaneously. I, I would, yes. Uh, like I said, and, and, and half the time, I would say the casual fan won't know much about the guy getting paid in Major League Baseball. Meanwhile, yeah, we'll you're going to have Freddie Freeman signing we'll know somewhere him. Huge we'll the know same him. day. That you're going to see a lot more than that, though. Free agents are signing in the NFL. That's going to be fun. You're going to have the casual guy in Major League Baseball make more than the superstar in the NFL, and it'll be reported on the same day. That's, That's be interesting. Fun. And let's say that Freddie Freeman signs for $250 million or whatever it is. I'm always amazed when you see that happen. Go to a baseball game, a pro baseball game, and point to the highest paid player on the field in that given game and tell someone, that guy right now playing in this game is making $275 million on his contract, whatever the number is. And look at the and atmosphere in that baseball game. Look around the park and think, it's amazing to me that this dead of a place – that's quiet right now. We are watching someone making $275 million to play their yeah. sport. You would never say that about an NFL star. That's the difference between 16 and 162. But if you're in an NFL stadium, and I point to Aaron Rodgers and say, that guy makes $150 million, whatever, you're going to say, worth it. I get it. I understand why that guy's making that much money. I have never been able to say that about a baseball player, and I love baseball. 
But it's weird when you watch a guy at bat and say, that guy's worth that much. It's well, a different feeling. And again, it's the difference between 162 and yes. 16. Yeah. I think you yes. could see it a little bit. Like if you're trying to explain it to a kid, you could see it a little bit for a pitcher. Yes. Here's the guy controlling the game like a quarterback. You could see the similarity. Oh, well, okay, this guy has the ball in his hands. He, he's the maestro. But once here. a week, though. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, that. that's the other th- factor, too. I, I just, I mean, I'm just stunned with the money thrown around in Major League Baseball compared to the NFL when you view it through the lens of popularity and ratings. And yeah, Chad's right. I mean, it's once a week uh, for these guys, too, playing in the league. Uh, but, it, man, it's nothing compared to the guaranteed money that the players have. And more power to them. Yeah. I mean, it's the well, it, it's a push pow- a kid, right? It is a powerful league. He getting hurt uh, and union. I mean, he might hurt his arm, but he's he's not getting CTE. So here, here's what I haven't seen reported: What did Major League Baseball? What did the owners gain by locking out the players That's for a 99 great days? Question, and we'll have what was gained in this negotiation that was worth it? I think we'll probably have a bigger conversation about that tomorrow. No, we have time to yeah, because no one's come out and saying that they're they're focused on this international draft. And there's all these little small pieces to it, and they're saying that the rules are back in place from pre-COVID. Doesn't feel like they won. No. But, uh, Rob, d- Rob Manfred got to work on his golf swing, so that was positive. And sit with Jerry That was something game. But I, at the end of all this, I wonder what it, what it really came down to. We'll, uh, we'll hit those headlines as they come out. We'll continue the college basketball talk, and we'll hit NFL discussion as well. Mitchell Trubisky, is he about to be paid? And... Is there another guy we haven't talked about that we should be? Outkick 360 rolls on.